Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What up, everybody? Welcome back inside Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast with Josh Shaw, Ryan Buckeye. Riveting topic today. Riveting topic because a lot of people say I'm high-strung, Josh. Do you think that's true? I don't know if you're high-strung. I think you're passionate. I think that's the term that I like to use. Yeah, I mean, I, every time people comment on my YouTube channel about my reviews, they always ask if I take a scoop of pre-workout before I do the reviews. No, I just talk fast because I got to get shit done. Okay, that is what I do. We have stuff to do. We're busy. Um, and in this industry, there's ever-changing landscape of sports nutrition industry. And you and I have had a conversation kind of off-camera and informally, and I wanted to bring it on to the podcast because I think it's a good open conversation we need to have because – we have different perspectives than some, than some people. And what we want to talk about today is the obligation that a brand has within this space, within the industry. What is sports nutrition brand's obligation in general? And I think they have two obligations we'll talk about today. First is like the obligation to their business, to stakeholders, to their families, and to their employees, which is kind of like their business, right? And then the second obligation is to the consumer, and uh, I, I think what's what's it's kind of like real real estate. It's just like you want to do what's best for the consumer, but you have the greed thing behind you too. So how do you give the consumers maybe what they need or what they don't need? I mean, because it, it's a struggle. Like you can get away with some pretty, what well, I don't know, just like terrible formulas that cost maybe three dollars to to make and sell it for sixty bucks and make a ton of money, and that's attractive to some business owners for sure. But so let's start first, Josh. Let's let's break this down into two parts. Let's first start talking about their obligation to themselves. What is a sports nutrition brand's obligation to themselves and their stakeholders? You know, I think the traditional definition in, in terms of both of us being business school grads is, you know, this I think maybe in the I don't remember what generation, maybe the seventies or something, that Milton Friedman talked about the uh, purpose of a corporation was to maximize uh, shareholder wealth or, or profitability of shareholders. So yeah. That as a core, as a company, that's generally what most people are seeking. And though they say if you can produce and maximize profitability, then that leads to you know being able to do other things, being maybe uh, adding sustainability to your products, maybe being a better corporate citizen, maybe you know a bunch of other things. But that's kind of like a trickle down type of a situation. Now, within that, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that a individual person could think about the obligation of their own company because there's the definition that we talk about in business school that maybe some people agree with, some people don't. And then there's the idea of maybe the ethics and morals of the person and what they believe the role is within the industry and how they need to play within the industry in which they work. And you touched on this and walked around this a little bit to the point of like a sports nutrition brand being that it's the intent is to uh, better somebody's life um, in a sense of you know, whatever that goal is or mm -hmm. that intent of the purchase, there is maybe some element of obligation that you need to focus on on the consumer level because a consumer is buying the product with an intent or a goal behind it. And you know that as a business owner, there's a level of influence or level of manipulation that you can obviously amplify if you want to. And it's a matter of how much you want to within the bounds of what you believe is right and wrong. It's very interesting because, like, as we speak about the consumer today, like, the placebo effect is a real thing in this world, especially when it comes to dietary supplements. Like, if you take a puttered sugar packet and you think it's something else, you might say, my God, my energy levels were through the roof. 
So it's it, because it's a, a a drug of sorts that we consume as as individuals. Um, it's a little bit different than per se a physical product. And I always want to look at you know you look at the pharmaceutical drug industry and people will complain about prescription prices and and they probably have a right to do that. But something that they I guess account for in the cost of these drugs is the R and D, the research and development that goes behind maybe creating you know an, an anti diabetic drug or whatever it might be. Like there's legit people in labs. You know, doing the studies, and there's cost behind that. There's employees that, and then the huge drug trials, and just like how long it takes for something to get to market oh, yeah. is immense amount of checks and balances, and and that obviously costs the company a ton. You you spend, you know, multi millions or billions of dollars before a, comp- a product even gets to market. Yeah. So. I know you're making that point. I just want to make sure people even understand the huge difference in cost structure between mm-hmm. a pharmaceutical and a, a supplement. Yeah, because in the supplement industry, you're not going to have that. Brands aren't spending money on research and development anymore. I mean, back in the day, maybe you know you have some ingredient brands, um, you know, that are doing tests behind their brand ingredients, maybe to to sell it to other companies. But for the most part, your typical OTC supplement brands aren't running out and doing you know uh, performance testing on their consumers to say like this pre-workout literally does X versus you know the pharmaceutical drug industries they do. So then I also look at, I worked at a, a hearing aid company for three years. Now hearing aids are literally just like basically a piece of plastic with some wires in it, very powerful. They can help a lot of people. But the, the cost of like the goods on that hearing aid itself, <clears throat> maybe a couple hundred bucks, and we would turn around and sell them for three grand. Why? Because there's all that research and development, again, that you see in like the pharmaceutical industry. You have to account for that and pay for that. So when you look in dietary supplements and you look at the pricing structure, you have some companies out there that do absolutely no research, that absolutely aren't doing anything innovative with their ingredients, putting minimal dosages, making something, like I said, maybe three, for three bucks with a cap, and they're selling it for $60, $70, and consumers are purchasing it because they believe it works based on a placebo effect, based on a marketing campaign, based on... A lot of different things. So that's where I'm torn because obviously I went to business school to someday be an entrepreneur, to create my own business. And at the end of the day, the obligation of a business is to make money. Like you don't get into business not to make money. I mean, unless you're unless you're basically creating a, a philanthropic uh, effort. And even then, there's still money involved in those things. Like nonprofits, like the CEO of a nonprofit still makes a very good salary. I mean, if you look at some of these big nonprofits, they are making good money. They should be. They do great work. Um, but you still, if you're a for-profit business, your number one priority typically is like that bottom line or that, that top line because that will provide jobs and that will provide benefits and uh, they'll provide you know to give back to charities and do all these things. So that is like a very difficult thing to do especially in an industry like sports nutrition where I feel like there is a lot of greed and deception in this space because maybe some of the brand owners just are different way of thinking than maybe some people. Like they're not as grounded as some maybe people in corporate America where they have more of an obligation to a a boardroom full of people and like they're expected, like these corporations are expected to spend X amount of money on sustainability each year. That's not expected within our space. So like, how do you? How would you juggle it, Josh? In terms of like, you want to be rich, you want to make money, but I, I think you and I both have the same mindset. Like, if you get into sports nutrition, you're the reason you get into it is because you want to help people. At least that's how I would do it. Yeah, going back to kind of the the purpose of a corporation and how sometimes the intent behind somebody like uh, Friedman, where he mentioned that, was that there was some trickle down, and hopefully that people could understand there that. You weren't supposed to just pocket all the greed and, and everything. There was some bigger things that had to work down the line for everything to work well. Where 
I think recently, within the last couple of weeks, they've had um, a lot of prominent business owners. There's a, a council or something that they've redefined um, what a corporation's goal is. And I'm, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but it has something to do with the, the betterment of the overall economy and basically saying there's there's a lot of other things that need to go in. It's, it's more defining the trickle down and saying you need to start thinking about that. Don't just um, we hope that people are thinking about it. So the overall business community, not just sports nutrition, is struggling with the idea of you know driving profits to the detriment of the consumer because they hadn't really thought about long term all the other things that should be happening with the betterment of society or the economy or whatever. There's other things that you need to invest in that overall will help the markets uh, be better. And, and hopefully then it helps you as well. People don't really get to that kind of indirect thinking no. of, of creating this one plus one equals three type of a scenario in some cases. So I think that this is a problem across all industries, but to your point about the sports nutrition industry, I think that because of just the ownership, um, the people that are involved a lot of times um, also being very much self-promoting in a sense of, you know, being flashy and being, you know, whatever that it amplifies those maybe people that are are doing things a little bit um, not in the up and up, at least in terms of maybe what you and I think about in terms of morals or ethics and in business. So it helps um, this kind of thought that we uh, are talking about right now and saying that there's a lot of people that um, are only thinking about profit side of this. They're not really thinking about the consumer uh, side, the, the we're trying to help a consumer. We came into this as a fitness-based um, value generation business where we're hoping to better communities of people that are trying to change their lives and transform their lives through fitness. And we hope that we have a product that is gonna help them through that journey. I don't necessarily know if um, a lot of people think that far out there. And I think that that's where you and I are, are fired up about this subject because we think to ourselves like, that should be what drives your business. It shouldn't be how do we maximize our profitability at the, to the detriment of the consumer. It should be the consumer should be winning, we should be winning, and that's how we're building kind of a long-term, sustainable, profitable business. Yeah, and I will say this. From a point of an entrepreneur, when I started making more money and, and started making more money and more money and I saw my bank account go up – your way of thinking does change. Like you do, like even though you don't want to, you start to think a little bit differently. It doesn't mean you act on those thoughts, but you're like now you're thinking like, okay, do I start flying first class? You know, do I start staying in five star hotel? Like you start living differently because now you have a little bit more change in your pocket. Um, and in the case of like some of the sports nutrition brands, they start making money now. They're flying private and they're posting on Instagram. They're buying Ferraris and they're doing all these things like you mentioned, very flashy. Money changes people in general. I mean, that is a, I think that's just like a fact of life. Like when you – I would love to – I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but like do like a research study on people who won the lottery in the like the last 10 years, if they're still alive because I know a lot of them have like went down downhill spiral. But I, the, the way they think, I bet you it changed dramatically because now they have access to all these things and they become more irresponsible with money, I think some people do, in terms of like their, their general whatever. And in this case, when you start to get the taste of more money and you realize – at some point, it's it's not a, it's never enough for some people. They just want to keep having more and more and more. So then they start maybe skimming off um, on the products, and they start taking away from the consumer, and they start reformulating without talking about it. 
so that when their products cost less and they start making more money, um, that is not a fault of just this industry. I think that's a fault of any industry, and it's just a fault of greed that we have as a society. Yeah, I always say that money doesn't change people. It amplifies what they already were or just like exposes them for what they already were. Like most of these people already were thinking the, in these ways, but they weren't um, big enough to make any noticeable um, thing. You know what I mean? Where now they've amplified their life to such a point where then now you're seeing how they were when they were less of an earner or, or whatever or success level or whatever it is. But the, I don't think like, just a lot of the things like buying things or private jets or whatever, that doesn't obviously define like a good or bad person. Those, no. those things, uh, everybody has their own uh, ways that they like to spend money. Um, they might they might buy Walmart shoes but buy a Ferrari. Like yeah. it's that kind of stuff happens. You know what I mean? Some people just value the different experiences or different Absolutely. things or, or whatever it is. But I think that to your point, you're not obviously making a point about that. You're making a point more around that – as people become more successful or more, make more money, um, they then want to create more money. So then they start thinking a little bit less about their yeah. ethics or their morals, and they start thinking about how do I make more money. And then that gets them into trouble, especially in sports nutrition, where the vast majority of people that are listening to this think sports nutrition has no um, regulations has no nothing. It's wild, wild west. There's nothing that's happening, which is completely the, the wrong um, case. That's right. definitely not the case. There's a ton of regulations from all sides of the of the thing. Now, there's enforcement side. There's the actual regulation side. Those are two different things. People can point to 100%. all different things and saying, "Well, I I could buy SARMs here. I could buy this here. I can, you know, these people are putting this ingredient into this product." But I get it. Those just because they're sellable doesn't mean that those aren't. Uh, you know, illegal. They're illegal. They're just a matter of like in, the enforcement of the regulation is not possible because of just the amount of brands in the industry, the the amount of resources that a, that a regulatory agency like the FDA has or whatever. But because of all of these things, what we talked about with you know of the allowance of, of of maybe the lack of regulation or the lack of of enforcement, mm -hmm. you then start to to People, people, certain types of people. I don't want to. I don't want to um, say this is people that are successful or make money or whatever. But there's a certain subsection of people that then do some quick risk analysis and go, well, it's. Not, I'm not going to get caught. So let's put X things in my product, or let's not put anything yeah. in my product, and you know, skim or do whatever it is because we know that the odds are we're not going to get caught, at least as long as we're quick in and out or we have a good plan to kind of get out long term or whatever it is. But what ends up happening then is that this creates a black cloud across the industry in which then now you're seeing in 2019 a lot more attention, public attention by the FDA saying, hey, we need to do a better job enforcing this. We need to put on maybe more regulations on the books because – there's a lot of negative press towards a very large um, industry in America, and we need to stop all that bad cloud that's happening. And the only way that we know how to do that is to put a lot more pressure on the system. And that seems to be what's happening right now. And this is to, I think, a point of why we're having this conversation, uh, what 
you and I don't want to happen and why we want to make sure that people understand as brand owners or just customers, there's there's an obligation on both sides of this. Like you don't have to buy certain products. Um, you shouldn't buy certain products that maybe right. are wrong. And then as a brand, you shouldn't be putting those products out there because of what it's going to do to the overall system. Supply and demand, right? I mean, we, that's like economics 101. Like if it, there's demand for something, there's something that's going to supply it. And that's why I, when I get heated about this subject in terms of I see a brand come out with something that's just completely ass backwards, detrimental to your health, not promoting a healthy fitness lifestyle, a healthy way of living. They're doing it uh, for two reasons, I think. One is, A, they want to make noise. They want to, like, hit the ground and be like, oh, my God, this company just came out with this this X pre-workout that contains whatever. Um, and that's a way of getting PR, bad PR, good PR. It's PR in general for them. Um, but secondly, like, there are people that are demanding this. I, and unless you are a complete clueless as a company, you don't make a product that there's not a demand for. Unless you're Apple and you create the iPhone and you create demand for something that never existed prior. That's completely different. That doesn't happen in this space very often. But there is, uh, for for me, like, it's nice because we, we talked, too, about a little bit off camera, like, these third-party certification programs that are coming out now, kind of, like, looking at these products, testing these products, and saying, you know what, what they're saying on the label is actually in this product. So that's that's not saying they're efficaciously dosed. It's just saying, like, what that label says, it's actually meaning label claims. So you know what you're buying. This is what you're buying. This company is not putting something on the label but not putting it in the product, taking money out of your, you know, putting money in their pocket. So there are there are checks and balances in place, but... Those aren't those third party certification programs aren't free. As a brand, you have to pay for those. Like so, if you, and if a brand is intentionally skimming ingredients out of a product, they're not going to go to NSF and these third party certification programs and pay for them. They're just they won't do it. So, like one thing that consumers out there listening to this, if they are, you're like, how do I know I'm getting a product that actually the labels? You know, I'm getting what the label says is you can look for some of these third-party certifications. You can look for third-party testing like um, you know, a brand that I'll talk about openly because I respect the hell out of them is Nutribio, Mark Laser. That's a brand that does – they have a third-party testing through their platform, and, and they did that. It's pretty cool. But Mark's a guy that uh, you and I know personally. He has – obviously, he owns a – I don't know if it's a $20 million company, what Nutribio is, but it's a large company. He has probably quite a bit of money. He lives within his means. He's simple, but he hasn't – went away from his values like you know since 1996 type thing like they've stuck to what's made that company successful um and unless they test one of his products and it comes back not meeting label claims which would absolutely shock i think all of us in this industry like i'm pretty sure he's remained consistent since day one and it's been beneficial for him and that's how he's built a business by maintaining his his uh a quest for integrity and full transparency and that i i i respect the shit out of that i think that's phenomenal um you know, but the brands that are, and you mentioned SARMs before too. It's like, okay, so let's look at the retailers. Like, the retailers are trying to get a quick buck by selling these things. They're research chemicals. Now, I don't give a shit as a consumer what you put in your body. You can take steroids, SARMs, drugs, whatever you want. That's your call. It's your body. Do your thing. But they're illegal. They're not, they're not legal. You can't sell them. And you're not supposed to sell them in stores. So I get hot and heated when I see a retailer promote something on Instagram saying, we have Rad 140 in stock, which is a SARM. And I'm thinking to myself, Josh, like, what the fuck are you doing? You're a business. And the only thing I can think of is, like, you're a greedy little – I'm going to say a really bad word, Josh. I'm sorry. But you're a greedy cocksucker. Like, what are you doing? You could, you could hurt somebody because they're not meant for everybody. There's not a lot of data behind it yet. Like, sure, there might be some promise for these things. But we just don't know enough about it. And you're willing to just endanger somebody because you want to make a quick buck. That's bullshit. Yeah, the – the shit rolls downhill, I guess you could say. I mean, the, the system only works when all the parties involved are 
playing by the rules or, or producing a positive benefit to the system. So in this case, you have you know brands that can create things that are illegal, legal, um, underdosed, dosed, you know, transparent, non-transparent, tested, non-tested, whatever it is. They can put whatever they're out there based around whatever their variables within their business. If it's you know they want to help people, they want to make money, they want to do whatever. That's all the case. Now, then you get to the point where it rolls down to it has to be sold somewhere. So outside of them selling it direct to consumer and them controlling their own systems, you ha then have to work with some element of a of a retailer, be that mom and pop shops, be that Amazon, be that Walmart, be that CVS, whatever that is. Now, a lot of the larger retailers um, have compliance people that are there that you know checks them out. Even Amazon um, has a lot of things that you need to make sure that you are covered. Now, you know things slip through the cracks on an Amazon. People could point to some of those types of things, but for the most part, Amazon, but far and away, does a really good job, especially for like a, a self-manned yeah. marketplace. But you get into Walmarts, you get into CVSs, you get into all this stuff. Now they're getting to the point where they're requiring third-party testing, which is great because it cuts out all of the noise, like noise in terms of the at the brand level. A brand mm -hmm. can't sell to those retailers, so then they are disincentivized to do the things they're doing because they can't sell it in certain ways. Right. Now, mom and pop shops, unfortunately, have not gotten to that level. Now, some of them do. Some of them have ethics, morals, things that they will and won't pick up or whatever. But for the very majority of them, they are trying to survive, which when you put somebody in a corner, they become a much different person when they're trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And they're going to sell whatever they need to sell to be in business, to put food on their kid's table or whatever that is. So you have a problem there in the system. But then the bigger problem overall is what you try to tackle on a day-to-day -day basis is the consumer. The consumer is creating demand for these products. They want these pre-workouts to be like crack yeah. or Adderall or whatever, and they are expecting that experience when they get a product, or they're expecting to get steroid-like results off of a uh, over-the-counter type of a product that they are then thinking is legal because a, a supplement retailer is selling it to them. So yeah. as a consumer, you don't know the difference between illegal and illegal, especially if something is uh, labeled like a supplement, sold at a supplement shop next to other supplements that are legal. Like to you, you think they're legal. They're fine. So you end up having this issue in the system right now where the consumer is not acting appropriately. They're not asking for or – I guess, supporting enough of the right things, or maybe it's just the loudest voices are, are trying to look for things that aren't you know, the, the up and up. And then you have retailers uh, that are still the fragmented ones that are disseminated across the United States are not acting accordingly to what needs to happen. The problem's not with the Walmarts, the CVSs, the bodybuilding.coms, the, the Amazons, those types of those are not the problem because they have compliance and everything in check. They've already cut all that off at the knees. They've said mm -hmm. this is not going to happen. Now you have direct-to-consumer, which is always going to be a problem because that's kind of like the dark web in my world. Like right. you, you could sell anything if you can figure out a way to do it. And then you have the supplement retailers that the mom and pops, the vast majority of them are the ones that are causing a lot of the confusion from the consumer side as well because they are now utilizing something like Facebook mm -hmm. and saying, buy my RAD 140 or whatever the heck, you know, they have for SARMs or research chemicals. And then all of a sudden, as a consumer, if I didn't know anything, I'd think, wow, I'm going to buy it. Look at all these great claims they have on this product right. or whatever. It's going to gain 20 pounds of muscle. Cool, let me buy it. Like I don't know any better because I. it's very tough when it looks 
like a supplement. If it's in a bottle that has supplement yeah. facts on it, uh, it looks like a supplement mm -hmm. to me. You mentioned like this whole um, regulatory guidelines that some of these retailers have, like bodybuilding.com, GNC, Vitamin Shop. Like you can't get in GNC if you have synephrine on the label, for Christ's sakes. You know, so I mean, they are that strict that they're so you know, like people love to hate on GNC and Vitamin Shop and say they're dying. You know what's the nice thing about them? When at least when you buy something in those stores, it's compliant. It's not not like gray market stuff. You know, um, it's been tested, third party tested because they require it. They're not gonna submit a PO. You know, you look at like Arms Race Nutrition just did like a huge PO with uh, GNC exclusive. They're not going to sign a PO unless you get your shit tested to be on their store shelves. So like as much as people want to hate on these places, like they do a goddamn good job of making sure that stuff that you're buying is compliant. And, and that is great. Now, more retailers, if you really want a retailer's business and you're a brand, as a, if I had a sports nutrition store, like a brick and mortar, or even an online store that, you know, could show success and I'm willing to submit a PO for X, but it's going to require you to set it in for third party testing. As a brand, you should do it unless you're scared shitless because you don't think you're going to meet label claims. If you're hiding something, then sure. But, I mean, if you want to spend a couple grand up front to prove to that retailer, listen, this is my product. I tested two lots. Here it is. It's, it says what it says, and you're going to give me an XPO plus a lifetime value of whatever it might be. It's definitely worth the investment. Then you can also showcase that shit to consumers. But that doesn't happen barely. I mean, at least unless you're trying to get into bodybuilding.com or GNC. But if you're selling to Jim Smith's store, they don't care about testing. They just want a product that looks nice on their shelf that they can sell. But so a retailer who gets into this space, just like a brand, should have an obligation to the consumer that you're supposed to be helping these people. How you can help them is require third-party testing or require something to prove that the shit's not harmful, that, that, that the stuff is going to be beneficial or at least have what it says it's in it. Because... There is a there's a test flowing out on the on the internet right now, and I won't say the brand and the product because God forbid they get pissed off about it. They'd probably try to sue us, Josh. And I can't have you. I can't be in a courtroom with you. We'd be we'd be in, we'd be we'd be in so much trouble. Um, it was tested, and there were ingredients that showed up on the test that weren't even listed on the label, and it had caffeine above a gram, I think it was something crazy like that. But it's like the number one selling pre workout in brick and mortar stores. Why? Because nobody tests it. I mean, you won't you won't find it in GNC, you won't find it in Vitamin Shop, but you'll find it in all these other brick and mortar stores because they're not tested. And they can get away with it there. So it's just, you know, that obligation, like that, that type of stuff, if that test is true, 100% true to that product, that owner, the people behind that brand, fucking disgust me. And it makes me sick that they think it's okay to do these things. And even as recent as, like, the big company that just came out with a new pre-workout with a ton of stimulants in it, I'm upset about that. I'm disappointed more than anything because they got into this industry years ago with good products, stuff that was more consumer-focused first. They struggled as a brand, and now this is kind of like, it's, to me, it seems more like a PR pitch or like a, a stretch for survival, making noise and trying to stay in the game. There are better ways to do it than to, to put your morals like on the wayside and just trying to make a quick buck. Like it, It's business. Like Figure it out. Figure out how to run a business in a manner that is business-like and professional and legal and not going to hurt somebody is the biggest thing that I ask. Yeah, I mean, we have talked a lot around just, I mean, I think our ethics and, and morals and, and thoughts, uh, mindset around a lot of this is shared by the greater business community in which we are a part of. Mm -hmm. But what I'll say is that a lot of what we have talked about just, you know, indirectly um, things of like, a lot of the things we did talk about, especially some of maybe like the very elevated um, stimulants or maybe even things not meeting um, label claims in a sense like there's 
not much in terms of maybe legality that things are right. wrong now. Not meeting label that's a, that's a different thing. But like yeah. uh, having an elevated amount of um, stimulants that not necessarily illegal. It might be yet uh, immoral or yeah. you know unethical in terms of like what we maybe expect uh, a brand to act like. But to your point, there is an element of noise like ultra competitiveness in the environment right now in the industry there's a ton of brands like you know 10,000 plus brands right now and if you're in certain categories especially ones that are probably almost every one of those 10,000 brands have like a pre-workout how do you stand out how do you create mind share with a consumer when you only have the same kind of buckets of ingredients to work with you have you know the same cost structures the same um you know, things people expect a pre-workout to be 35 bucks. It doesn't matter if you put right. a bunch of premium stuff in there or not. You're going to have a tough time selling it to them more than 35 because there's so many close substitutes that they could buy for 30 bucks or 25 yeah. or maybe 40 or whatever. But like it's all within that certain range. Um, so it creates some pressure for a brand owner to figure out like what do we do? So what ends up happening is a lot of times they start listening to the market and it's a very sl small subsection of the market. It's not the you know, the, the bigger picture of the market, because I think a lot of times you and I talk about specific trends, bleeding edge type trends, or um, things that we see from an insider perspective that doesn't necessarily apply to the overall market, because the, the overall market's buying C4, mm -hmm. which is not a, um, a very strong pre-workout. Right. That, that far and away has the most market share, um, you know, in the whole thing, I mean, close close to 50% of the market share at this point yeah, in terms crazy. of energy products. So it's like, you know, the majority of people are buying that product, but there is a very small subsection of people that are looking for a very strong product. And these brand owners, because they're trying to make um, some mind share and try to get some attention towards a very competitive category in a very competitive sports nutrition industry, they have to push the limit to do something, um, you know, different. And I don't think you or I fault any business for for trying to figure out what that is, the, what sequence, what pattern that is to attract consumers. The issue becomes when is it too much? Mm -hmm. Like when is it from an industry standard? When do we put our foot down and go, this is too much? This is we've, we've gotten too far out of our bounds. This is too much. Can we please figure out a way to come up with a better solution um, and also help consumers understand they don't need 1.5 grams of caffeine a day. And right. if they're consuming that amount of caffeine in a day, they need to go seek medical attention because there's something wrong within their body, their individual body that they've done either through environment or through inputs into their body that they need to correct. Mm -hmm. It's not, This isn't natural. This isn't what you should be doing. I, I, I see a lot of people drinking multiple uh, energy drinks, drinking multiple um, coffees, uh, big Starbucks coffees each day or whatever. And that's cool. That's great or whatever. But it's not healthy. It's not right. And then we, as a, as an industry, as a sports nutrition industry, we need to kind of just figure out what is that that we're all comfortable with together. And we need to kind of figure out how to manage that, how to, yeah. you know, whatever that is. Like what is the system mechanisms in place to actually hold people accountable to that. I always go to like the retailer side, which I think is cleaning a lot of that up. A lot of it's going downstream where people are going to start asking for a certain level of testing or, you know, whatever it is. So I think part of that's cleaned up, but then there's still the consumer side that nobody's really educating them on, 
healthy, unhealthy dosages to all this because for some reason, everybody's trying to go back to this point where they had this Jack 3D feeling and you can't have that feeling. Like if you want to go have that feeling, go to your local rural area, right, wherever you're at and go find somebody without teeth and go buy some meth. That's mm -hmm. the way to do it. If that's what you want to get, honestly, it's easy to get. It's probably cheaper than going out and trying to buy a bunch of pre-workouts yeah. and go to, you know, go to, go to your local rural area. Um, especially now it's going to start snowing here soon. Whatever one doesn't, the roofs that don't have snow on it, that's where they're cooking it. Go and find them. It's, it's not that hard. You know what I mean? Josh, you sound like you're talking from experience, brother. You sound like you've been, you've been <laughs> hanging out in Austin. Uh, but you make great points. I mean, here's, there's a reason why the creators of, of Jack 3D and Oxy Elite, like, they are behind bars at this point. I mean, they, they, you know, they did things within that business that they weren't supposed to be doing. And we have this over-infatuation with stimulants in this country. And, and I mean, I, I'm going to speak strictly on America because I live here. But it's like, yeah, the lines at Starbucks are down the road. The, the energy drinks are a dollar energy drink and they're always two for three bucks. And people are slinging monsters and bangs like it's crazy going out of style. And they think it's a cool thing to do. Hypertension is not cool, people. Keep that in mind. That means high blood pressure. Caffeine can cause high blood pressure. You can die if you have too much of it, if you keep doing it over and over again. Um, my ask is this. Like I have, I have basically three asks. The first ask for me from brand owners that are formulating these products is wake the fuck up. Like I understand that consumers are, are asking for these products, but you know better. Like You know what's better. You are in this space. If you have any ounce of respect for yourself, don't do it. My second, second ask is to the consumer. Educate yourselves a little bit. Take time. Come and visit my platform or Price Plow or whatever platform. I don't care who you go to. Just make sure you're making more informed, educated decisions because this is your health, and we are allotted one life. That's it. You get one chance at this. So if you fuck up your body um, by taking SARMs or too much caffeine or pro-hormones, like it can lead to long-term effects. I'm talking from experience. I took pro-hormones when I was 18 years old. I think it fucked me up long-term. So I like to be a voice of reason for people. My third ask are for the, the brand owners who are respected in the space. If you see some of this stuff going on, grand, it's not illegal, but, it's, it, but you see other brands coming out with pre-workouts with 700 plus milligrams of caffeine, speak up. Instead of saying, like, I don't care what my competition is doing or I don't care what they do, I only focus on myself, you still have an obligation to the industry. Like, I think if you're respected and you have a voice of reason, say it. Say it out loud for people to hear. You're not saying anything that's not factual. You're telling consumers that it's unnecessary to have this much X in something or you, should, you don't need this. And it's not to say that you're doing it to sell your own product. It's doing it because you believe that the consumer's health comes first. And if you truly create a sports nutrition company based on consumer health as your priority number one, then you should be looking at the, the industry and looking at the competitive landscape. And if you see something like this, then you should be vocal about it. It should not be platforms like FI or PricePlow or others who, I mean, have a reach of maybe you know, 40, 50,000 people. When you have a reach that is you know, 10x what we have, you have an opportunity to change the industry way more than we can. We are trying hard um, and we want to help consumers, but if there's an opportunity for you to stand for what you believe in, don't be silent. Just be... Be selective in your words, obviously. Run them past your lawyer if you're scared. I don't care. But like, just stand up for what is right. Stand up for the consumer's health because the consumers are the ones who buy these products. And if we keep overstimulating them and doing these things like that, then the FDA steps in. They start banning these ingredients. Then we throw our hands up in the air and we go, what the fuck are they doing that for? Why are they do Well, because we didn't say anything. We didn't do anything. So if we start self-regulating ourselves like we're supposed to, Maybe we can start seeing more beneficial. Now, that's not to say, I know this episode, I don't have to run too long, but like there are a lot of good products out there and a lot of good brands out there creating good things. And there are only a handful of ones doing stupid shit like this, but they're the ones that get the most recognition and the most noise and people freak out about the most. Now, it is a small sort of subset of the buying community overall, but 
if we can save those people from having long-term detrimental effects from taking a stupid product, like, I don't care. I'll save one person if I can. Yeah, I, I definitely echo a lot of what you're saying. Um, I, you know, I don't know about the company owner part or whatever. That's obviously somebody's, you know, that's their personal decision if they want to do something of that nature. Right. I, I definitely want to think the pressure towards the consumer um, is much needed because if they're demanding things, that goes upstream. Brands start to create things that they, you know, have demand for, and then. Um, then nowadays you can sell things kind of anywhere on direct to consumer. So there's always a mechanism to get that out to a consumer. Um, so what I would love to see is that consumers start to, to educate themselves. I mean, get the information that you need to make the right decisions and why even this small subsection of customers that are the ones that are the ones buying these products or the ones demanding these products are important is because they tend to be the um, the first uh, responder or the first like um, innovator the buy the people that buy the products first and then they are the ones that ultimately are you know I don't want to say they're the most educated buyers but they have a probably a more passionate information level than a lot of other consumers they go out and be loyal advocates. Uh, for certain things or for for certain ideologies that then influence other people within their small communities that then go to local shop and it's like this like small amount of like snowball effect that ends up happening now will it ever take over the majority of the industry no the majority of the industry is much better off than it was 10 years ago 20 sure. years ago whatever there we're not talking about this being a, some widespread problem but what we want to make sure that we let everybody know is that there is an obligation for all sides of this system to work appropriately without having a ton of regulation. We don't want to have a ton of regulation because that stunts all kinds of things that people always harken back to and say, there's no innovation, there's no whatever. Well, the only way to get those things is if you can properly create things without having to have everybody hold your hand constantly. And the only way to do that is if everybody acts appropriately within the system. So. I know this prob this episode was probably over a lot of people's heads maybe, and maybe people are going to connect to different parts of this, but I would be really interested to hear maybe what people think about the subject matter overall as a consumer, as a brand owner, as a retailer, as whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things we've talked about in this episode. There's probably a lot of things that people are going to point to um, as us as content creators. Maybe we didn't explain properly or we forgot about the 0.1% that was uh, an outlier or whatever, mm -hmm. call us out on it. Let's have some discussion about it because I think that this topic overall is one that the more engagement we get, the better overall it helps everybody because Ryan and myself are facilitators of conversation. We are not somebody that actively talks about things like in a very absolute, like right. strong-minded way that we uh, don't believe in other people's sides of the story. We're going to facilitate conversation. So we want to be the people and provide the soapbox for people to talk about it. Feel freely to comment however you want because we're not going to ostracize you for the way you think. So right. hopefully that gives some people a little bit at the end of this episode just to think about if you got this far, hopefully you got this far. Yeah, 100%. And you can do it over on Facebook, Two Guys, One Shaker Cup. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify. Watch it via YouTube as well. Um, I'll end with this. Sometimes it's the ones who demand the product that the product gets created, but then it's the one who didn't demand it that accidentally take it, takes it that gets hurt. And that's what happens, and that's when uh, everybody starts to say, shame on you. I'm, I, I, I like to say shame on you before somebody gets hurt because I know that at some point somebody probably will, and that's going to be super, super unfortunate. 
Podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.